name's Travis Sims, and I am the founder and CEO of AGC Accelerated Global Connections. And this is the AGC Experience. Our lives are a series of choices. Each choice leads to a result. Would you like to easily know which choices are the right life choices for you? If you've never met Amy Tyson, owner of Infinity Life Design, make it a priority to connect with her. Amy is a master of feng shui and batzi, which she calls destiny analysis. She assists her clients in understanding the hidden forces that are influencing their lives. A destiny reading with Amy is like reading a book all about you. She highlights which decisions will bring you to your fullest potential and which choices will lead you down a path of obstacles. If you're struggling with a challenge or you want to lift your life even higher, get connected with Amy and Infinity Life Design on facebook.com slash infinitylifedesign or subscribe to her online newsletter at infinitylifedesign.com and connect with your infinite life. I want you to do is I want you to write this down. I know that some of you, you I can't see you and you can't see me, so some of you are, are, are hesitant, but I want you to remember this. What you write, you invite. And so I want you to be able to write this down. Life is made up of time. Time is measured in moments. Moments are defined by decisions. So to sum it all up, when you look at the quality of a person's life, it's what they did with their time. So for our talk today and for our purposes, I want to talk about the power of now. Most people spend their life not looking at what's going on right now, not moving towards a preferred future. Most people spend their lives in the past. And so when you look about how, how we live our lives, uh, by the but when a person is born, by the time they are, are six years old, they start to create a cognitive filter. They start to think uh, into their existence uh, in a different way. So before that time, uh, and I'm not going to go into all the science of it, but uh, the, what before you're six years of age, uh, you, you tend to be this open vessel that gets poured into. That's why a kid can learn five languages growing up in a household that speaks five languages without skipping a beat. They can learn three or four instruments. They're not incapable. Uh, it's actually our energy that is limited because they have this open area, this open consciousness that just completely gets downloaded, all this new information into them, and they're learning it as if for the first time. But at the age of six, what begins to form in our mind, uh, they refer to it as alpha consciousness. So we're leaving delta phase and we're moving into the alpha. So a delta phase is what you would probably experience when you're asleep. Where alpha is more when you're kind of in a, in a, in a deep meditation. And so when, when, when you look at the, if you hook it up to an EEG machine and you look at delta wave, when people are in kind of this delta phase, uh, they call it twilight reverie. Uh, it, it's almost that place between sleep and awake. And that's why when you tell a child that there's going to be a jolly old man that jumps down in a red suit down their chimney, even though, whether they have one or not, and who's going to drop gifts, but he, they just believe you. They accept everything as is. They absorb information, and they're like little sponges that accept everything. And so they, 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 they're, they're experiencing life as if it's for the first time. But in order to protect our mind from exploding, there's so much data, so much information coming at us. What we do is this, this part of our brain starts to form called a filter. It's our conscious awareness, and it's the executive functions that are on the forefront of our brain. And what they begin to do is they begin to filter information as relevant or irrelevant. 
relevant. But what happens as a consequence of that is that our mind begins to take shape in a very unique way. Our mind begins to resist anything that doesn't agree with its already existing programming. That's why the Jesuit says, give me a child by the time they're six and I'll give you a man. It's because by the time you're six years old, most of the beliefs and the identities that you have about life already become formed. And so what we do when we're going into a situation that's scary, that's, that's unfamiliar, is we look into our history and we begin to determine whether it agrees with where we're going. And if it doesn't agree, automatic rejection is what happens. If you don't believe me, I want to prove it to you right now. And remember, life is made up of time, is measured in time. Time is determined by decisions. And so the decisions you make matter. So when all of your decisions resist uh, your preferred future and only deal with where you've been, it really limits you. So I'm going to prove it to you right now. I want you to write down, what did you eat for breakfast on the first day of school at eighth grade? First day of school in eighth grade. Now, here's what happened. I can tell you what happened. I can predict it. I, I, you know, unless you're one of them weird people that you see on 60 Minutes that has like these perfect memories that can always access, there are three parts to our memory, there, our, our, our cerebellum, it's, it's, it's really interesting, is right on the bottom, on, on the base of our hindbrain. But above the cerebellum is a hypothalamus. And in that hypothalamus, it has three sections for memory. One is long-term memory. Uh, one is, is, is kind of narrative or episodic memory. And, and, and so we have these different elements of memory that are holding on to information. And when the mind feels like there's something that it cannot do, it stopped us even before we tried. If your brain feels like I can't access that memory, it's ridiculous. That's stupid. What I ate for breakfast on the first day of my eighth grade school year, that's ridiculous. Who would ever remember such a thing? Exactly. That is your mind putting restrictions and limitations on the way you think to limit the way you do things. And so I'm telling you, it takes hard work to create a preferred future. It takes hard work to live in the now and not live in the past. If you want to move to the future, you're going to actually have to divorce yourself from only responding from what you know in your past. You have to activate the parts of you that are present in the now in order to move to a preferred future. And there's four ways we want to have you to do that. The first way you're going to have to do that is to see it. You've got to see it before it exists. Because if all you have is your history that you're relying upon, what happened behind you, if all you have is your own autobiography, you will never create a preferred future because you only get what you always have because you're still there. Most people don't realize this. The average human being thinks about 60,000 thoughts every single day. And in thinking 60,000 thoughts a day, over 90% of them are the same exact thoughts every single day. So you think you're living uh, uh, in a progressive reality, and the only thing getting older, the only thing getting wiser, the only thing getting better about you is your skin. The gray hairs that may be popping up in your head. That's the only thing that's changing, because for most people... We've actually created a framework. We actually created an identity. We created a belief system, and it's rarely challenged, and we, we watch media that agrees with us. We talk to friends that agree with us, and we're never forced to grow outside of our now because we're so busy living in our past. And so if we're going to create a different future, we've got to see it. The first thing we have to see 
is what is exactly out there. And you've got to understand, uh, again, in that cerebellum, over 50% of your brain activity, 50%, over 100 trillion cells in, in, in your cerebellum, over in your brain, and over 50% of them are in the cerebellum. It's holding, it's those motor skills, it's connected to your visual cortex. Sometimes when I'm teaching, I will go and grab my brain and bring it onto the screen to show people how within your brain, underneath these eyeballs, is your vision is your visual and your visual cortex it stretches all across to the high brain so in your cerebellum where that exists where you're holding these ideas before it goes to the hypothalamus it's actually creating a narrative for you it creates a story and it tells you what you can do it tells you what you can't do which is why some people they get it they they, they hear something one time and they're activated and they begin to go do it other people hear things and I could never do that. Their brain immediately shuts down because the narrative in their head, the story that they tell themselves, the vision they have of themselves. And so in order to break that, they've got to see something different. That means breaking with the old habitual patterns and the thoughts that have kept us locked in. You've got to see something differently. So when, you're, when, when, when we're growing up, vision is the first language of learning. We grow up and we see smiles. We see people touching our lips and touching our cheeks and everything else like that. They're pleased with us. They're trying to make us smile. And, and so empathetically, our mirror neurons pick up on that and say, smiling is a good thing. Smiling gets me what I want. Smiling gets me candy. But we also learn that forks and electric sockets are not a good thing. And this is all before we're even verbal. Falling on our head is not a good thing. And so as we're figuring things out in our younger years, we're creating a belief system. But what else is going into that belief system? Many parents tell their kids not to try things in order to protect them. The average child hears no over 158,000 times in their formative years until before they're five years old. 158,000, no, don't do this, don't do that. They hear no, and so they understand life is life of limitations. But if you're going to be able to live in a preferred future, if you're gonna move from your past to your future, you're gonna to have to stop embracing ideas that don't currently exist in your current thinking patterns. Well, how do you break thought? How do you break with those old patterns of thinking? You've gotta be able to tap into the part of your mind in which lies your imagination. You see, what human beings rarely understand is that we're always creating. You are always creating. And so what you see determines what you believe. What you believe determines what you pursue. What you pursue determines how far you go. Now, here's the thing. I know some people say, well, that's why I have a vision board. And this, I'm going to warn you. And, and, and listen, I'm not against vision boards, but this is what I do know. The mind can only handle two to three things at the same time. So when you've got the perfect body and you've got the perfect car and you've got the perfect house and the perfect boat and everything else like that, your mind immediately does exactly what it does when I told you to think about breakfast the first day of your eighth grade class. It shuts down. It resists. It says, I can't handle that much data. I don't know what to do with all of that. I don't even believe that for myself. And so it cracks against something because it doesn't believe it's possible. A vision board is better if it only has one idea on it, one concept, 
What do you see that's going to move you forward? What things are you inserting into your heart, into your mind? Who are you listening to? Because who you learn from matters. Most people listen to the five closest friends to them. And I want you to do me a favor. I want you to take the five closest people to you, add up their income, and see if you don't fall right smack dab in the middle. If you want something different, you got to be something different. If you're going to be something different, you've got to do something different. So the first thing we got to do is see it. The second thing we got to do is say it. Now, for some of you, this is really uncomfortable right now. Because you're sitting probably in a place, I don't know where you're watching this at. Maybe uh, if you're watching it on social media, you could be watching it on a bus right now. You could be watching it on a train. You could be uh, sitting in an airport. You could be, But you need to figure out how to say something. The words that you begin to speak matter. Most of us are super hypercritical. Marcus Buckingham, he said this, we have a human, we have positive negative asymmetry. We have a wiring toward the negative. Your kid comes home with four A's and one F. Where do you spend your time, energy, and attention? You're looking at the F. You're like, what's wrong with you? Why did you get this F? What's, what's going on in this report card? Because we're drawn towards the negative. Media capitalizes on this. Media sells on outrage. They want to get you upset. Oh, if you watch any network news, you'll get stirred up. Because what you see, you're absorbing, you're putting into your system. And so the stuff that we regurgitate, some of the nonsense that I get here regurgitated out of people's mouths, it's just ridiculous. It's nonsense. It's made up. It's fantasy. It's fairy tale. But they don't care. They believe it because they've absorbed it. They've identified with it. And so that's what comes out of their mouth. If you want to see something different, if you want to live in a different life, if you want to move towards a preferred future, you've got to start saying things that are leading you towards conversations that are going to move you forward. Which are, who are the mentors that you have? Who are the friends in your life? What things do you talk about that are adding value? What things are you saying that are, are, are praiseworthy and encouraging and supportive? How do you lead from where you are? And so the second thing we've got to do is say it. The third thing we've got to do is do it. John Maxwell says that the largest gap in the world is between knowing and doing. We don't have problems with what we know. Zig Ziglar used to say, hey, everybody wants to be skinny, rich, and happy, but nobody's willing to do the work. We know what it takes. What's your goal? What are you chasing after? We know what it takes. I'm convinced of this. If someone were to actually have the cut, the guts to go door to door and just beg for donations, say, listen, I'm working on an experiment. I'm trying to become a millionaire. And you went door to door and you started in California and went, was willing to go all the way across the, to the eastern seaboard. I promise you, you wouldn't take half the year before you get enough people donating to you to make you a millionaire. It's not that we don't know how to get money. It's we don't want to do the work that it takes to get it. And many of that has to do, much of that has to do with our limited thinking, the way we think. You can get anything you want. You just got to be willing to pay the price, which is more than just talk about it. It's one thing to see it. It's one thing to say it. But it's another thing to actually get off your tough and begin to do it. Sometimes you got to shake these things up. You got to move some things around. You got to start thinking different thoughts, becoming a different person, and begin to speaking life into any situation that you find yourself in.
What are the principles that you're willing to, to live by? What are the hills that you're willing to die on? How often are you talking about those things that are most valuable to you? Because if all you're doing is complaining, complaining is the language of defeat. It is already accepting a down position. When you complain, you're saying, I am powerless to do anything about my situation, so I might as well complain about it. Because if you can solve a problem and all you're doing is complaining about it, you're a fool. And I don't believe the people I hear complaining are fools. I believe they have psyched themselves out to believe that there is nothing they can do about their situation. I know it's hard. I know it's long. It's called life. Welcome to the game. But how far can you get if you just take that first step? All it takes is step by step by step. Something will shift. Something will change. Persistence is the name of the game. I just completed my first book. I'm excited about it. It took me 15 years to write it. Talk about persistence, knock on wood. It's with the publisher now. It's called Too Stupid to Fail. Some people think that they can come really, it's about intelligence and knowledge and all these things. Listen, I didn't grow up that smart. I grew up in a city that had a public school system that made me feel inferior intellectually. And I don't consider myself really that smart. But boy, because I learn something every day, I do something every day, I'm reading something every day, I've been able to not only uh, go to the highest level of education, but I have so many licenses uh, in, in neuro-oncology, uh, excuse me, neuro-encoding, uh, uh, I have licenses in brain, treat, brain health and, and, and being able to understand how the mind works. And I've been able to study all types of things uh, from, from, from social dynamics to psychosocial dynamics, I'm, and, and I'm hungry for this stuff. I keep learning. I'm not smarter than anybody else. I just keep going. I promise you this, the intelligent will never beat the resilient. And that's what that book is about. And so we got to see it. We got to say it. We got to do it. But the next thing we got to do, and I get this from one of mentors, you got to celebrate it. You got to pat yourself on the back. And you got to be glad. Every time you make progress, you got to celebrate it. I had a mentor one time. He asked me and challenged me. He says, when you look at where you're going and your potential, how far do you think you've made it? And I looked at him and I said, compared to all my potential that I have, how far am I on my journey? I said, I'm, I'm probably a two. I think I could do a lot more. When I look at history, in the eyes of history, we're all children. There's so many people that had so much massive impact on the planet. I'm probably a two. And you know what he said to me? Why so far? See, he didn't want me to focus between two and 10 and see what I'm deficient in, he wanted to know, why not a zero? How, what have you done that you should be so proud of that you're already at a two? You're 20% there. And this is the problem we have as human beings. We don't celebrate enough. What have you done well? Yes, sometimes as you've, you've passed high, you've made it out of high school. 
You've done amazing things. You, you, you made it to college. Hey, you tie your shoes every morning. <laughs> that means your limbic system is working. We do so much that we should be proud of, but we've limited our thinking to where we see ourselves deficient. And one thing that keeps discouraging you and limiting your belief system that breaks you down is not praising yourself enough. So if you won't do it, I'm going to do it. I'm going to say congratulations to you because you're doing something right now that you probably shouldn't be doing. If you don't believe in yourself, you're not even wasting your time listening to something to inspire you. There's something that you believe. I want to celebrate you and congratulate you for the belief that you're not done yet, that you're just at the beginning, that you're headed somewhere and in a powerful way. And as we are in this dialogue, in this conversation, you're going to move forward. So thank you for your time. I'm excited about it. And uh, can't wait to see if there's any questions. Uh, we'll be here for you. But thank you so much. Uh, if you don't get a chance to stay around for Q&A, have a great day.